Welcome back to the Look and Sound of Leadership, an ongoing series of executive coaching tips designed to help you be perceived in the workplace the way you want to be perceived. I'm Tom Henschel, your executive coach, and today we're talking about facilitating open dialogue. Soraya leads a team of programmers who work at client sites for weeks at a time. When her vice president asked for feedback from the clients, Soraya only had a few anecdotes. He wanted hard data. Soraya and her team decided to create focus groups. The goal would be to bring the clients together and get them to talk openly about their experiences. When all the major clients agreed to attend the focus groups, she was delighted. Then her heart sank. She realized no one on her team, including herself, had a clue how to get people to talk openly with other people present, especially if there might be some negative feedback. Clint's situation was similar, but with a twist. Clint had taken over a group of technical experts whose team had just been restructured. Over the course of several months, many of them had come to him privately to express displeasure with this process or that procedure. In an attempt to build the team's support for each other, Clint created a meeting dedicated to shared problem-solving. He set out ground rules and made it clear he wasn't interested in blame or fault-finding. He just wanted the team to work together to make things better. The result? People sat through the meetings squirming in their seats and avoiding eye contact. No matter what he tried, all those problems that he had heard about in private suddenly vanished. No one would admit to ever even having had a problem. Both Soraya and Clint were facing the extremely difficult task of getting people to speak openly in a public setting. And what they both wanted to learn was the art of facilitation. The word facilitate means to ease. But there is no guaranteed way to ease human interactions. A million different factors can spin public dialogue off course. When I teach facilitation skills, there's a powerful paradox I introduce early on. It goes like this. Every time you, as the facilitator, open your mouth, you change what happens next in the room. And every time you, as the facilitator, don't open your mouth, you change what happens next in the room. My point is that facilitation is as much art as science. It requires large doses of awareness of others and an even larger dose of an awareness of yourself. What follows in the rest of this podcast is a crash course in facilitation skills. What you're going to hear is one core concept and two specific behaviors that will begin developing your ability to foster open dialogue in public forums. Of course, that one concept and the two behaviors work in private, too. Okay, here goes. The core concept, accept, don't evaluate. When trying to foster open dialogue, your goal is to encourage people to talk. To achieve that goal, you have to be open to everything you hear. You can't evaluate people or their ideas, no matter how outrageous they seem to you. If you express even the slightest disapproval, verbally or non-verbally, you stifle dialogue. Nonverbal disapproval could be just a small flash of disapproval across your face. Verbal disapproval might be small phrases like, mm, that's a non-starter, or 
we've already tried that and it didn't work. Or simply, nope. Don't do it. When you express disapproval, other people feel judged, and no one wants to feel judged. Conversely, if you're overly encouraging with phrases like, oh, what a great idea, people again sense that you're evaluating them, like a teacher would. By encouraging any one idea, you grade that idea as being right or good. Then, Participants intuitively understand if one idea can be right or good, their idea might be wrong or bad. The core concept about facilitation is any evaluation, even positive evaluation, can stifle participation. To create open dialogue, be inviting but neutral. One technique that I use to appear inviting but neutral is to imagine that I've never heard any of the comments before. Everything I hear is brand new, even if it's not. I consciously choose to be curious and interested in these fresh ideas. Another technique that I use is to say thanks when people contribute. Thanks acknowledges that they put themselves forward and that I value their contribution, but it doesn't evaluate the content of what they said. So the recap on the core concept, don't evaluate your participants or anything they say. Project an aura that says, all ideas are welcome. No idea is out of bounds. Okay, here's behavior number one. Ask open-ended questions. (laughs) Asking open-ended questions when you want open dialogue sounds pretty elementary, right? But... When I ask workshop participants to interview a partner using open-ended questions only, they find it surprisingly difficult. An open-ended question sounds like this. Can you tell me more about that? Open-ended questions ask for essay answers. Closed-ended questions sound like this. Did you mean ABC? Closed-ended questions ask for a yes-no or a fill-in-the-blank answer. Closed-ended questions are the default style of inquiry for most of us. Intellectually, you might understand the importance of asking open-ended questions, but I challenge you. Listen to yourself during one-on-one conversations. What's your ratio of closed to open-ended questions? If you're like most people... Open-ended questioning is not your natural style. This one skill can transform what all the people in your life share with you, from your direct reports to your boss to your spouse and your kids. If you want to know more about it, there's a podcast called Questions as Leadership. It explores this idea in detail. Okay, behavior number two. Develop comfort with silence. I often see beginning facilitators ask open-ended questions. They'll say, what ideas or concerns do you have about this? That's great. Then they'll wait about nine seconds before they start talking again. What they don't see is that their inability to wait in silence undercut the opportunity they created. If I ask you an open-ended question... For example, 
What ideas or concerns do you have about this? I'm inviting you to reflect. When you accept that invitation, you turn your attention inward. You begin sorting through your inner files. Your thoughts might begin to form immediately, but the language center of your brain that's going to put words to those thoughts doesn't come online until a little bit later. You're not ready to speak right away. As the facilitator, standing silently in front of a group for 20 or 30 or 40 seconds can feel excruciating. But if the group, or even half of the group, is actually thinking, it's an investment that pays off beyond anything you can predict. Endure the discomfort. But now this begs the question, how can you tell if people are actually thinking? And the answer, look at them. People who are turning their attention inwards tend to lift their chins and look upward, or they tilt their head and squint a little. Their gaze is a little less focused. If you see that sort of behavior, wait. If, on the other hand, people are fidgeting with their pens or staring at their hands, they're not engaged. Move on. The point, allow the participants' engagement to dictate when to break the silence rather than responding to your personal discomfort with silence. While these two behaviors and one core concept are only a small introduction into the complex art of facilitation, it is where I focused my work with both Soraya and Clint. Soraya found it pretty easy to adopt an inviting and non-judgmental attitude, and that's the core concept but she was surprised at how difficult it was for her to stop asking closed-ended questions. Clint, on the other hand, frankly had real difficulty hiding his judgment of others, and waiting patiently in silence wasn't his strong suit either. But with practice, they both improved, and they began using these techniques in their staff meetings and even in their one-on-one meetings. Because the skills made such a difference in what they were able to draw out of others, they found they had pushed themselves much further down the road of the look and sound of leadership. If developing your communication skills in front of groups is an idea you're interested in developing, here are four other podcasts that will support you. One I mentioned already, Questions as Leadership. Another, Stop Giving Away Your Secrets. Third, leadership behaviors in meetings. And finally, listen without an agenda. Those podcasts and all our others can be found on the Essential Communications website, essentialcom.com. That's essentialcom with two M's dot com. From our homepage, click the navigation button marked Coaching Tips. That'll take you to an archive of all our podcasts. And when you're there, you can search the archive by categories that interest you. One category is communication skills. There are more than 40 tips in that category that will help you be perceived the way you want to be perceived. From the website, you can also download every tip as a PDF to save for yourself or forward to others. Our podcasts are also available through iTunes. Just search for The Look and Sound of Leadership. Until next time, I'm Tom Henschel. Thanks so much for listening.